You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. You remember the other day we were walking down the beach, we were having that discussion, and I, I was hypothesizing that people from all over the world drive to the edge of the water they they stop they get out and they just lay down on the beach and yeah that because of that there must be something to it there must be some science to it on what happens at the beach that is attracting people to go and just lay down at the beach yeah other than it's just pretty other than it's just pretty and so i started looking we got back and i, I started researching and i found this article right so this article said the science of why we love the beach I was like, oh, this is okay. this is perfect. Yeah. This is going to be the answer to what we were talking about and maybe put some validity to my hypothesis that I was putting that there was ionization in the air and that that has a positive effect on your brain's, you know, workings or some sort of medical reaction that was happening. So here's here's what the article says. All right. Okay. All right. They they said the science of why to go to beach. And the okay. first one was, hey, it's a vacation. What? And that's good. Okay. All right. Well, maybe this, maybe well, this, maybe this article. doesn't make a difference in the lake or the mountains. No, you could go to Vegas and that's a vacation. Yeah. All right. Uh, they said you get to walk along the beach and walking is good for you. All right. Okay. So you could walk around the track to local high school. Uh, you get vitamin D from the sun. All right. That one, we already knew that. We, we knew that. Uh, it's a change of scenery. Okay. Yeah, but anywhere is. So far, I'm thinking this, you know, this article is crap. I mean, because mm-hmm. they're just naming things. Um, they said, you can do various activities, you can fish. I'm like, okay, this is really not, you know, I almost ditched it. But then they got to what I thought was interesting. They got to the mindfulness of your senses. And I thought this was kind of interesting. They said, at the beach, there is a heightened connection to senses. So if you're walking along the beach, there's a tactile difference on your feel. There is a certain mm. smell. There's a different smell. You're aware of, of how it's different. You see as far as you'll ever see. I mean, you can see basically an infinite distance into the into the horizon there are unique sounds and so it's just there there is this effect of almost sensory overload but in a in a positive in way a where you're getting way. Yeah, yeah you're getting positive senses and connections to nature connections to your surroundings in a way and so there's got to be something to that sensory connection huh beneficial. well that makes sense yeah and sensory deprivation and be helpful also. Yeah. Our guest today knows all about sensory deprivation. Ryan Dewey, who is the founder of Plunge, a company that makes the most beautiful cold plunge tubs that you'll ever find. Uh, he started his interest in health and wellness while building Capital Floats, which was Sacramento's premier float center. And then met up with Mike Garrett, an owner of another float spa in the Bay Area, and together they have joined forces to create Plunge, which has brought cold plunge, cold baths, ice baths to far more people than he could have ever imagined or anyone really could have ever imagined. So we enjoyed talking with Ryan today about his spiritual journey in exploring self-awareness through ayahuasca, how a motorcycle crash when he was in college, caused him uh, to reevaluate his life and be focused on health and wellness, how the science of cold plunge and sensory deprivation takes, 
and create mindfulness and massive health benefits. So we talked about a lot. We learned a lot. If you're interested in Cold Plunge, this is the podcast for you and Ryan is the guy for you. So stick around, laugh a little bit, learn a little bit. I'm Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. I got an idea for it. Why not? Why not just make these tubs warm? Well, we do that. We got the we got warm tubs. <laughs> oh fuck! Oh, you know what that one? That was that one. I thought I was gonna mess with them. Then I was gonna launch into all. Why? That's not a good idea. People, I, people have been making the hot ones for a while, you know, right? <laughs> totally. We had the we had the zag to the zig, you know. Everyone, the hot ones were out there. Um, so we 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 came with the cold. There were enough pieces of feedback to be like we'd like it hot too, so we 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 yeah. have the hot unit yeah. as well. Hey, but before we get into into all that around the uh, the the cold therapy and the the, the float tanks and all that, I want to kind of learn more about you. How did you get into you know all this business? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it starts. You mentioned the float tanks. It was kind of the the start of my I guess entrepreneurial journey. Is uh, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to go start my own businesses. They've all you know capital floats. The first one more came out of just my love for it. And I was like, I love this. And I really selfishly built it because I wanted to get around people that were doing that type of activity. Well, um, before you got in the business, how did you become aware? Didn't you go down to the Amazon uh, or like the, the there personal some... journey? Yeah. 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 So, I mean that, um, you know, I had a real serious accident in Thailand, uh, like very open about that being one of the greatest gifts of my life was in the hospital. What were you, what were you doing in Thailand? I was traveling with a buddy. Um, it was just a fun, you know, in my 20s, backpacking uh, throughout the country and got in a motorcycle accident, head-on collision, ended up in the hospital for about three weeks out there. And it was one of those pretty incredible moments where it just hit me right away, like, man, this is going to be like a true, like, character <laughs> Literally building. hit you right away. Yeah, yeah. Once I came from the concussion, about 45 minutes of not remembering life, but um, you know, knew like, okay, this is going to be like a substantial moment in your life. What are you going to do with this? And, you know, you get three weeks with my mouth wired shut in a hospital, not being able to eat or drink, you get a lot of time for contemplation and, and thinking through things. And you mentioned like going down to the jungle. That was like the big thing I always wanted to do. I wanted to work with ayahuasca and this is back in 2012. And this was a very, you know, psychedelics were still, I guess, I don't want to say more in the closet, but more just not really as open as they are now. And it was something I had wanted to go do for kind of my personal, spiritual and personal development. Anyways, was, it, was the time was the time in Thailand where you couldn't you know, really do anything else? You were sort of immobile, I guess, for a while. Did did that cause you to reflect on wanting to go deeper spiritually or psychedelically or you know, whatever? Did that yeah. was that the impetus for doing that? It fast forwarded it. It was already there. Yeah. It was like, I want to do this, but I had kind of, you know, life, I was in my twenties. Life just feels like I had, at least for me in my twenties, it was like, I have so much in front of me. I'm so young. Yeah. I have the rest of life to do all these incredible things. And not that I had a, I was on the, I was on the sideline in life. I felt like I was doing things, but that was like a big one. Like, oh, you'll do that later in life. Well, anyways, everything just fast forward. You get there and you're like, oh, this, this is all made up the fact that tomorrow it's it's so 
Yeah, we're not you know, we're not promised tomorrow. You don't know how all. long those tomorrows are going to be. Yeah. Like it's even as I say it, it doesn't quite land on me. But in those moments, it's like, no, for real. Like, this is it. This is really all we have. And it was so present to me. It was like, what do you what do you actually want to go do? And that was by far the number one thing I wanted to go do. So, really set out the next why, year to prepare why was myself. It, why was it that? Like, what made you want to go? As opposed to, I'm going to go climb a mountain. I'm going to go, you know. Married the love of my life. Why, why ayahuasca? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, you know, I'd done a fair amount of like traveling across the world and like physical traveling. And, you know, the people that I really, some people that I really respected, I didn't really know personally, but the people I had heard that had worked with it, I was just like, whatever that is, like that is, there's the depth of that is so much further than I've ever traveled before. And I want to go do that. And I didn't really have like a specific, Oh, this is the thing I want to get out of it. It was more of like, I've just never heard of someone describe something with such depth. And I was like, I got to go into that. So did you, you did a full ceremony with it, uh, like with the shaman and everything? Yeah. So the first time down, I did actually seven ceremonies over 10 days. Um, Yeah. Is Is that normal? Like seven? Uh, you know, it, it's it's varied. It, you know, ayahuasca has lineage thousands of years, and the actual structure of right. how it's been worked with is: do we fully know? Probably not. I mean, now it's more into these kind of Western and condensed versions where you're going out. I'm not out there for six months, you know. So they kind of put it right. together. I would say, I would say, what is normal now in those structures is like three and seven right. is probably on the more extre- like longer. We were. It's in. a lot more popular now. I went to a wedding in Austin this past weekend. We get an Airbnb for all the groomsmen, uh, you know, and the groom to stay in the night before the wedding. We were there for three nights. It was an ayahuasca retreat. That was really, the, that oh, was really, the, yeah. We didn't know that. When I didn't know there was it. one in Texas. Well, I mean, you kind of gotta like, <laughs> you gotta know somebody. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, well, it was all, it was kind of a weird environment. It, it was a, no kidding. It was a polygamous cult. We found out later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now I, I don't know if it were a cult, but I do know they were polygamous. Let me say that. And, uh, there was like a compound with walls and, um, so they can't get out. Yeah. It was odd, man. It was a wall. It was a wall, not a gate walls. And, um, there were like multiple houses on the same property. It was like, oh, that one wife lives there. One wife lives there. This is the couple's house. This is the gym. And then there was another couple. And then there was us. And you guys were just, and that was a bachelor party? It was a, that's the weirdest place of a bachelor party. We didn't know until we got (laughs) there. Well, I didn't book it. So, but the point we go in there, they've got all these like instruments in, you know, South American flutes and drums and gongs and whistles and everything. Yeah, it was to like design. We were in the house that apparently they have the ceremony things. house. Yeah, so there were like twenty bunk beds. And <laughs> that was I don't know, but yeah, That's apparently wild. <laughs> what they what they said they did was that it's their reli- like their religious practice. Yeah. And so that's how they were able to have it without being worried about, you know, law. Oh, that's how they were getting around. I, I, I don't know, dude. I don't know what, if they're just, if they just said that <laughs> to make us feel better. Maybe so. But oh, yeah, yeah we get there. They offered it within like five minutes. There's so a like, number I, like I the Santa, Santa Daime Church here in the U.S. They're, 
Yeah, I mean it's a uh, it's under like the religious act. So there are a number of like ayahuasca churches around. I don't know if, what this one is specifically. This one sounds a little uh, kind of took a pivot. I mean, it into sounds the... like just a guy and his a guy and his women, really. <laughs> yeah, that, that was really a church. <laughs> sounds like it get a little squirrely. Uh, yeah. So what what was the experience like for you, Ryan? Didn't turn polygamous. Um to polygamous running around here. Yeah, I mean, we were down. I went to this place called Temple of the Way of the Light. It's become a more renowned center down outside of Iquitos. And I mean, the experience was, you know, floored me in the most incredible ways. It, it fundamentally, you know, transformed, you know, who I kind of view myself as and uh, went down. And, you know, I went down thinking I was at a work for the San Jose Earthquakes at the time and in my career and I'd started floating. So I kind of had this concept of I want to start a float center. But I, I think I'm thinking I'm going down and it's going to blast me wide open and be like, all right, you're quitting your job and you're coming back and starting this float center. And it was like, like I talk about the depth. It was so much deeper than that. It was like, dude, quit worrying about your job. We got a lot more to go into here. And it just kind of put that on the bookshelf and said, that's already taken care of. Like what's your, you know, your future, you know, what you want to go after and those things like, let's focus on some core stuff, which it actually turned into like my relationship with my parents and things like that, that kind of, you know, I take for granted or whatever. It's like, that's actually at the core of who I am. And so that this experience was, man, it was so humbling, so beautiful. I mean, there were so many like events and experiences that came that, that happened from it, but you know, and ayahuasca has become a tool that I work with. You know, when I say consistently, probably like once a, once a year, it's like just another, it's something I use to kind of open the hood up of myself and, see what's there and a little below the surface into the kind of subconscious. Um, so it's become this tool that has been, you know, here throughout my life that I've, I've turned to at different chapters of my life. Yeah. It's interesting. I I've heard many people describe that experience as one of the most significant experiences of life. There's gotta be something to it, but do you correlate the experience you had there with the, the float experience or the sensory deprivation experience? How are those similar? At the core of them, there are tools to go into parts of ourselves or consciousness, whatever you want to term it. It just a, a, it's a different vantage point. It's a different perspective. We it's why we do meditation. It's why we do these different things that can be worked in that are just different ways of of seeing things, new perspectives, putting a new lens onto things. And so, you know, floating, floating, I actually think is a phenomenal integrative tool for those that utilize psychedelics. Where psychedelics is kind of like open up to this, like almost sometimes confusing, like, what is this? This is so much more vast and expansive and, um, you know, can be terrifying in certain ways that, you know, more than you can think we're floating, you get into, and it's actually like, takes it all away. And it's like, you're into, it's, it's like you're back in the womb and it's perfect okay. relaxation. And just like the mind just kind of gets to, you know, settle down as opposed to being on fire. So. I always like, I always floating a tool that I, people that are utilizing psychedelics, it's like, that's great. Those are exploratory, but it's really about the integration. It's like, okay, you have this transformative experience. Like, what are you going to do with that? Cool. You, great. You saw aliens. If that's your story, like what did, what is that? How does that help you as a better person? Um, (laughs) and, 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 and floating is, you know, a great tool for that to integrate, to kind of bring back, okay, what is this? What was this teaching me? What am I want to incorporate back into my life? And that's the space for it. We're rarely in like, rarely in this world do we get 
let alone five minutes. And floating is usually a 60 minute session where you're like, there's nothing. There's no light. Well, that, you know, that's what I wanted to There's talk no to you is, is I think it's interesting when, you know, obviously it decidedly we're about, you know, defeating bad decision-making, looking at improving decision-making. And if I can clear my mind, is that, are you finding that that's helpful for people that you talk with after that experience that they're going, oh yeah, I now have a point of clarity around this thing that I was struggling with or this issue that I was coming up against. I know now how to deal with it. Are, are people finding that? What I consider floating as is before you get into the tank or mostly how we walk around and operate all the time is we got 50 apps open on our iPhone. You know, we got so much going on. We're thinking about, oh, I got to do this this afternoon. I got to send that email back. Oh shit. I can't believe I behaved that way last week. Like all these things that are swirling in our mind all the time. That's our normal operating system where you're getting in a float tank, you come out. And it's more uh, focused by elimination. Like all the all the noise goes away, and what's still in front of you, that's usually the thing to go focus on. That's the thing to reflect on. That's the thing yeah. to take action on. Um, How I've long does it in- take to quiet out the nonsense? Because I imagine you know, thirty seconds in, you're still going totally with all the with all the. Crap. On average, I would say thirty to forty-five minutes kind of what they've shown these is this has been shown in clinical settings like usually go in and the frontal lobe and the exterior lobe of the brain are when those are connected it's kind of on fire we got a lot going on yeah and they've done these these studies they actually have a float facility in oklahoma and they study this specifically and yeah it's depending on the person depending on what you're coming in with usually on out 30 to 45 minutes and there's a disconnect there and that's when it's all the silence starts to come in so we have a lot of people that don't, they're not into meditation. This is like its own form of meditation. Um, it's You just got to get in there. You turn off all the stimuli, the body's going to do it, take care of itself and bring that kind of calmness, yeah. serenity into play. And like, if I think of transformative experiences in my life, there are ones that worked out really well. And then there are other missed opportunities. There's stories of missed opportunities. And maybe a lot of it's because I didn't choose to do the hard thing or I didn't choose to be mindful. So when I hear the stories, uh, both the, from the float experience or from ayahuasca, it sounds like, wow, it was almost impossible to ignore this. But I imagine there's a lot of internal work, right? You can have a realization and still not do anything about it. So what's the work like afterwards to make sure that the transformative experience isn't wasted? I'm still trying to figure that answer out, (laughs) like how to, what that process actually looks like. I think from my experience is, you know, floating, let's say like floating or cold plunging or doing these things. Those are kind of like micro, those are micro wins. They're not, yeah, yeah, you can have some, they, they can be one in itself, a big transformative event, but it's more tools that you're using on the regular. You know, those are things you incorporate into your life. Psychedelics for me, they're more of like, they're not all the time. These are kind of big intentional or yeah. like I said, once a year I'm going in and I'm like, I'm getting ready for this. I'm journaling before I'm preparing like to what's kind of there. I'm present in my life and going into the experience. So that's a totally different like post experience where I'm actually planning out a few days after where I'm not, my calendar's free. Yeah. I'm really like starting to, I, I plan to get into nature I'm not quite running back right back into life and I'm 
integrating in. Like that's where it's like, I feel like you have this window from my experience, yeah, especially post-psychedelic yeah. where it's like 24 to 48 hours where life is fundamentally different and you have a choice in those windows to create some new patterns. You're not going to fully remake yourself just from that one experience. You don't come back and you're healed and you're fixed and this is, it's all, it's all done. Like, no, you now have this new window. What is the thing? Is it, is it, you know, maybe it's your health. Okay. What are like, you can actually make some new patterns in that window of time and take action on that. And that's psychedelics. I think is a very short window of time. Like I said, a couple days usually where you can start yeah. to bring in some new patterns, um, you know, and actually build some momentum on that. That's a really good answer. You weren't very confident in it, but that was a really <laughs> You didn't start out confident. That was a great answer. It makes sense to me. A friend of mine, when we were at this, you know, polygamous cult, he said, dude, don't these people kind of just seem like druggies? And we were like, yeah, you know. And he goes, why do you think that's the case with all like people who do psychedelics all the time, but by pe people who do it infrequently or maybe only a few times you don't you know they don't they don't they don't have the same way of thinking and i didn't have an answer i was like i don't know that's an interesting observation and i think what you said answers that is people who are doing it all the time you don't have the space to do the work to make it useful i mean it's like if your health and wellness plan is a diet pill well it's not going to do a lot. Like, I, I would think it's like if you're if you're traveling and you're doing that so often, it's opening up a new map every time and you're taking a path and then you open up a new map and you take another path. And it would seem like if you're doing that too frequently, you're you're losing sight of where you're ultimately wanting to go unless that, you know, mix mash journey is is the vision. I think you Probably nailed it. Hopeful. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you're that space is so vast and just challenging for the human mind to step into and to kind of piece it back together. It's like you, you, there's just no groundedness. Like, and look, I'm not, if people, if they want to live in the polygamous cult and drink this all the time, like I'm, you know, that's their call. Like that's their thing. That's their thing. Um, well, I, me, I would think, I, I would think that Doing something like that, where you're looking at an ayahuasca experience, where you you open up the pathways, you open up the map, you see possibilities, and then pair that with a a routine of sort of clearing your mind, so that you're able to take those pathways away that aren't going to lead you to where you're wanting to be, uh, and just sort of clearing your mind on a regular basis of all the noise. That's the critical part, and I think also like what you got to have a clear path of like what you actually want out of life um you know it's like what do you what's are you doing the psychedelic for the experience or are you doing it for the psychedelics for being a more person in action being a more caring loving human like you know that that's why i do it so it's like that's what i want to see i actually want to see the results in my life as opposed to just huh. strapping in for the roller coaster and going on you know these epic journeys yeah, you're not doing and, it because it's fun yeah, yeah, exactly. You, it's you find 100%. that most people who go in with a framework of this is what I want to get out of it are able to get closer to that experience as opposed to going in with just some unresolved objective. 100%. I mean, the what they're finding, you know, what I've found personally, and then all the studies coming into this is intention 
100% matters when taking these substances. Like it is the critical part to the process. And if you're taking them for fun, which I do take substances for fun. Um, and there's, there's something beautiful about that. Laughing with friends and connecting with like, that's awesome. Be clear in your intention of why you're doing it for that moment. Or if it's another one of like, no, I really want to go in and challenge myself and I want to see what's there for me and what is holding me back from being this person that I aspire to be. Like that's going to be a totally different experience. And I guarantee it if you go in with those clear and honest intentions. Earlier you were talking about how you wanted to get into the world of, you know, cold plunge and float therapy um, because you wanted to be around the people who were doing it. What was appealing about those people? They take me back to that time of your life because I, I don't know, I've idolized groups of people. I haven't idolized people who sit in water. <laughs> group. Yeah, I think it was the, I think it was what the people that were willing to go spend money and sit in a, like a tank by themselves, what that symbolized yeah. to me. You know, I, I loved mind exploration at this point. Like this was so interesting to me. People that were like very reflective and like, willing to go kind of get in uncomfortable environments to understand themselves more. That was, I wouldn't say it was foreign to me, but it was like very aspirational. And so, and I had kind of put this on a hierarchy at this time of my life. I was like, oh, these people are so interesting and, and you know, they're, they're different. And so anyways, going to the float tank, the first time I went in, it was in a basement of San Francisco. It's called Float Matrix. And I remember sitting in the waiting room and I was like, oh, these people are very normal. Like it was like the lawyer down the street. It was the mom in the neighborhood. Like they were just walking in, getting their appointment. I was like, wow, like these people are of the world. These aren't some like psychonauts that go off and then don't, these are who I'm walking past in the world. And I was like, that's who I want to be. I want to be out in the world, having an impact of reality and also like going in and exploring this and making this like a normal part of my life. And that wasn't people I was really around yet. So the, the, my something triggered that very early is like, oh, like if you want to be around these people, like just build the place and they'll come. It was like the field of dreams. It's like build it and they will come. (laughs) Like that was literally like what came over me. And so, uh, you know, those are the people I was just like, I was very inspired by people that were willing to give their free time up to go in and go through these self-reflective uh, personal experiences and live normal lives. So when you build these things, there's a, a high salt content on that and that's what's causing somebody to be able to float. Is that that's Yeah, going so on? it's about 1,200 pounds of Epsom salt. So it's it's saltier in the Dead Sea. Um, the water's heated to skin temperatures, which is like 93 and a half degrees. So it's not hot, definitely not cold. It's just this perfect temperature. You get in, you have... Uh, you know, it's like the tank and the water's about 12 inches high with 1200 pounds yeah. of Epsom salt. And you get in and you just lay back and you, you float, you truly float like you're in outer space, but you don't know where the water begin, where your skin ends and the water begins. Cause it's all neutral temperature. And you're in I, control. I had of- a little bit of that. So my wife and I went to the Dead Sea a couple of years ago and you know, you, and you, you know, the idea is you got there and you float. The Dead sea. And so we did that. It was the strangest experience. Uh, it, it's imagine saying, or imagine you know, you're laying on your stomach yeah. on the bed, right? So if you want to flip over, you just flip over. You just push around and you over. The problem is if you're in the Dead Sea and you're on your stomach, you can't 
push against anything. You're pushing against uh, water. Yeah. So trying to flip over is it is the strangest experience because your your head's sort of bobbing up, but your whole body is too. It is trying to push your head down underwater. It is the it's the oddest experience. But I can imagine if you're in one of these tanks designed to pull the sentry away, that that is a super peaceful experience. I did it one time in a pod that wasn't floating, but it was a it was like purple light or something like that inside. You kind of pulled this pod down over you, closed. And Sounds the, like floating. the lady asked me. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it was kind of like floating. Yeah, yeah. and um, so I did that for I don't know, it was half an hour or something. Got out and I, they asked me how it was. I said I just you know, wasn't feeling it. And why would you? Why would you say that? Uh, it was sensory deprivation. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. She she didn't. <laughs> the worst she didn't think the, she didn't think it was funny either. Day, yeah, she yeah. didn't think it was funny either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when we look at cold plunge, that is, I guess, in a similar vein from floating sensory deprivation and those types of things is you're just putting some external shock and sensory on the body. Whereas in one, you're taking it all, all away. So you're, you're operating at both ends of the spectrum, I guess, business wise. Yeah. hundred percent. I think they both lead to similar outcomes when you come out of a plunge or you come out of a float where you have this like very like calm, still mind, you come out of a plunge, yeah. you're like electrified, like energy is insane. But you're also like, your mind's not spinning out into a million places. Same with floating. Right. You come out every single time and you're much more calm, like focused. There's not a loud background noise going on in the mind. Right. So d- did you have any concern when you got into that? You know, I-, I think that there's probably a natural acceptance that clearing your mind, you know, with, with meditation and floating, it's it's peaceful. Uh when you look at cold plunge, it's almost the the opposite of that. It's everything but peaceful. I, I think there's this stimulus effect. Did you have any concern about the the science behind cold plunge? No, not at all. I, for me, I'm I'm always much more experienced first, and science follows. Um, and so I'd done it enough to know like this has a major impact on my life and I'm noticing it on those around me. So I was already like, the science will figure this out. Science will tell me what I'm already feeling. Um, same with floating. You know, I got into floating ahead of that. And then, you know, like I said, LIBOR, which is the Institute out of Oklahoma, different scientists were starting to study it. It's like, cool. Now it's just kind of for me telling me what I already felt, but it's cool. It, it's now quantifying this out to the general public. Cold plunge is the same way. Um, cold plunging even more. It's like you tell anyone to get in there for two minutes and you get in there and calm your breath down and <laughs> tell someone not to feel great afterward or not to smile. I, I, I'll pay them a hundred bucks if they can't do that. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it's more just cool. It's seeing it now of like, Oh, what is this? What's actually happening from like, uh, from a bio, from a biological standpoint, what are the actual yeah. neuro cocktails that that's, expressing in the body that that's exciting to actually put names behind that but well, walk, feeling... me, walk me through that because I, I would i see the 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 stimulative effect of increasing sort of blood flow to the body the uh probably increased mental stimulation uh heart rate increase there's probably increased breathing are there there other things that that are happening to the body that are creating positive effect yeah so you're getting this like ex- in huge increase in dopamine. Um, so dopamine is the precursor for focus, 
um, you know, really for uh, any drive that we have. Like you need strong levels of dopamine to have that present. That's the actual, that's what, that's how it expresses. And so, you, you know, we have these, it's a, we have a dopamine epidemic, you know, and really what's going on. It's like these fluctuate, we're on our phone all the time. We're getting these like yeah. micro stimulants of dopamine. When you get into cold plunge, it's like, it's actually regulating the whole system and you're getting this 250% increase in dopamine that doesn't have a crash effect and 250%, you know, that's on levels of like the energy you would feel after coke doing a line of cocaine. Why is you know, it not having a crash effect? It has a long tail to it, you know, and, and it's, okay. you know, was it four hours, five hours that's coming in from the body itself? I don't have that answer of like what the actual, um, why the body's maintaining and not having this like swing effect that's coming from it. But I think it's all, it's, it's like, almost as if it's as simple as saying it's natural and looking at your phone isn't <laughs> like, why, why is it not, why is it not go away immediately? Well, the donut causes a crash because it, it's not natural. That's, that's what it seems like for me, not a scientist at all. I think it's also, it's like incorporating so many more things. Like sometimes like dopamine just in the mind is like just there and we get this like rush, like this, this hit from it where you get in a, a, a pl the cold plunge and it's, it's this whole experience you have to go through. You actually have to like regulate your breath. Like you are the, the whole point of it is to bring on the fight or flight response, which is when you really think about it, that's such a rare experience that we can prepare for. Usually fight or flight reactions come in in times that we can't expect. It's when yeah, someone yeah. cuts us off. It's when someone yells in our face suddenly or scares us. Or a cold plunge, it's like, I will guarantee you're going to have this reaction. Every single time you're going to prepare for it and you get in and it still happens. So you actually get to like, go through the process of learning how to calm yourself down, regulate your system, lower your heart rate in a highly stressful environment. And you come out of that and that's where you're getting, you know, so the dopamine hits coming in, but you're also learning to regulate yourself in this, in this environment. So I think that's, that's a key part to it, that you're actually going through something hard and challenging. And again, intention, these things that we kind of enter into like, okay, this is going to be, I got, I got to earn this. I have to go in and it's only two minutes and it's something really hard, but I, on the other end, I earned this sensation, this good feeling that I have. Yeah. And, you know, we see that in, in other like sauna modalities, high heat, basically messing, you know, working with higher, low, you know, cold heat, hot heat, basically the extremities, it has this impact on the body and it kicks on different systems within our body and each one's a little different, but you know, at the end of the day, it is creating a more resilient system internally. What was going through your mind? You know, I know when you started the company, you were kind of doing it as like a, a fun project because COVID shut everything down. But how concerned were you? Or I guess, how, how did, did you even think that it would scale into what it is when you were starting? Because I would have the same kind of, well, I remember first seeing the ad for Plunge and going, really, they're selling this? Like, really? Like, can't I just go buy a deep freezer? Right. And can't, and that's what most of my friends who were doing it were doing is they had these like homemade ones and everybody that I talked to at the beginning was going, ah, dude, why would I, like, why would I spend money on this? I can just make this makeshift one just like, you know, you and Mike probably had, but then it, it y'all kept, kept selling, kept selling, kept selling and people were buying it. 
And I'm, I had did the same thing. I was like, I don't want like, I don't, I don't why. I don't know what it was that that made it work. Yeah, I think it was a, um, you know, the original question. Did we ever think? I don't personally look at things that way. I'm not one to get into a market because this has the biggest TAM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'm yeah. gonna go after it. Like, I. It's more of I love this. Can I just scale this out? And when I say scale, half the time it's just like. You know, can I sit, get 20 of these out there and change 20 people's lives? Like that's, I'm, a, I'm kind of a zero to one. That's usually my mentality. Yeah. Or it has been in, in all the businesses. I think, you know, did I, it's gone to answer your original question. Yes, it's gone way quicker than I anticipated. I didn't think there was this big amount of people that were, yeah. I don't want to say ready, but open to spending that kind of money to get into cold water to do something that was very challenging and uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. I, yeah. Super uncomfortable. I did not think the market was there yet. And that's been like, that's actually been the most exciting thing. It's like, whoa, people are wanting this. People are yeah. will, not just cold plunging, but people are willing to do the hard thing to better their lives and get healthier. And I think COVID was at a beautiful reflection to this. Obviously we saw it from the, the backyard market and the home build outs and the gyms. That accelerated the business, but also just health being on the forefront of like, hey, the healthier you are, the better chance you have in this situation. And that just kind of brought it to the forefront. We had a ton of people that had extreme bouts with COVID that were getting into cold plunging. We had a bunch of people with autoimmune disorders and just other health-related issues that were like, I've tried a bunch and I'm turning to cold water because this seems like a modality that could get me healthier quicker. So, what, is the, you know, what is the biggest difference between a cold plunge and a, a doing a cold shower, for example? It's the full body immersion is the major factor. You know, a shower is going to give you kind of the shot of adrenaline. You're going to get in. We've all taken that cold shower and it's like, <gasps> takes your breath away and you kind of calm yourself down and do it. I actually think showers are way more annoying and I much prefer a full body immersion in the sense of like in a cold like in our plunges, you get to like lay back and it's a great environment to kind of surrender and relax into the experience where when you're in a shower, you never get to relax. Well, and it's also not giving you that full, like it's not going to lower that core body temperature that quick. Showers are great. Like when I'm traveling, I take a cold shower. It's that energy, end on the cold, come out. I feel you have this elevated mood, that's there. But from the actual like, Getting cold on the full body of like from a I would like I'll use some terms here like brown fat that's a that's a terminology yeah. we that getting cold completely up to your neck and on the back of your back of your shoulders here it's where we carry a lot of our brown fat and brown fat is really important for like energy production so it's uh, helps for metabolism things like that so that's where the full water is going to be in there. Um, so what is this? Know, uh, talk to me a little bit more about the brown fat. So Sanger and I were talking about this the other day and you were telling me all about it. The, the, is the cold water having a positive impact on brown fat or is it moving, uh, different fat cells into that zone of becoming brown fat or what is, what is happening in that area? Yeah, it's, it's the term is it's browning the fat. And so in our bodies, we have two types of fat. We have a white fat and a brown fat. White fat's kind of the fat that we usually term just fat. It's energy storage. It's the fat that we carry around our body. It gets us bigger. Brown fat is something very common. We have an abundance of it as, as babies, as we grow. And brown fat is energy production. 
This is like what, when you have a high metabolism, it's a good source of brown fat. Or when you're responding better to cold temperatures, it's a good signal of like brown fat within the body. Well, getting cold has been shown to increase our levels of brown fat within the body. And Dr. Susanna Soiberg, who's a phenomenal uh, researcher in this area, she's the one that's really demonstrated this from um, cold plunging and, and brown fat. So that's like the... That's the big one. And that's, and you really need to be full body submersion for that. Um, and and that would increase energy in the, in the body or your ability to put forth energy. If you've had an increase in brown fat. Correct. It's helped with, um, like glucose levels and di- diabetes. They've actually shown it. I would assume that, improve or increase metabolism. Yes. That that's at the core of it. That's what it is. In, that is what it is doing is increasing metabolism. They've shown, also through lowering sugar intake and increasing brown fat or i.e. getting cold. They had an awesome study, I believe it was out of Denmark, of um, reduction of cancer tumors within the body to the point that this study recommended this as a modality in cancer treatment. Um, oh, that's so, it was, so it was, yeah, it was lowering sugar, which was a key part of the study and getting cold. So again, and that was more at the brown, the increased brown production within the body. So that's a huge one. That's a major benefit. I think it's also, you can also control the temp. It's a factor, you know, with a shower, you never quite know what the temp that you're getting in at. You're kind of, it's Russian roulette of wherever you're at and what the cold is. And it's like a specific spot in the body as opposed to, to me, the core of it, like when you get into the experience of it, you actually want to, it's really just breath. Like you come in, you're going to get a very shallow breath. It's going to take it away. Yeah, And you want to be able to send the signal to your body, I'm okay. And you just start getting deeper and deeper breaths and you will feel your system calm down. In a shower, I find it personally very challenging to get that long exhales going on right. and get that more right. calm experience because it's it's a very specific spot in the body. You might move, you can't really relax into the experience. So I, I find that to be... and. Tip of the cap to those in the shower that can do that. For me, I, I struggle mightily with being able to relax in, in the shower itself. Yeah, no, it, it, it's tough. I uh, I kind of get that that feeling. I turn like tur- I'll I'll get there. I'll turn it on. Water's freezing cold in the wintertime. Hitting my chest. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, okay, all right, all right. And then it's time to you turn guys around. Do. <laughs> you don't want to turn around. <laughs> like, I don't want to turn around, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the word. Do you guys do cold showers? Is that, oh, is every that day. Thing? But it, it's well, like man. a there's an off season in Texas. You know, you can't do a cold <laughs> shower. My I turn my water on in July, turn it on barely, you know, cold. Just I don't want any hot water. And it'll be a warm shower in July. It's yeah, so it's just sure. kind of you can't do it year round. You're coming into the good season now. Oh no, it's about oh, yeah. to get awesome. Oh, last last year, you guys, you're, 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 wait, your we'll go, yeah, over, we would go to his jump house. in our pool every time yeah. it snows. Go jump in the pool. Got to get in the pool. What's what? Do you, have you seen these videos of guys going like absolute psycho mode and getting underwater with snorkels and stuff like that? Yeah, so it's actually Mike. You know, my co-founder. He plunges with the snorkel every day. That's all he does. He is that it, better. It's a um, your head's under. Like it? You're under. It's it is like you come out in the most like peaceful, tranquil place. And if you can push through the first like minute, 
where you're going to go under. God, that sounds like a long time. I was hoping you were going to say like 10 seconds. (laughs) It's like, you know, you have, yeah, you go under and you get this brain freeze and you're there, but you find this with a snorkel or whatever your mechanism you're using to breathe. There's nowhere to go, but the, but the in and out, like, it's just so it's already one with your head out. It's, it's already easy to focus on your breath. But then when you go under, there's nowhere to go except your breath. Like that's all that exists. And so you get this space and you can kind of hit this rhythm that you're just full piece and there's no sound. You know, I recommend if you're going to use the snorkel, if you're using one of our units, it's like unplug it. You know, obviously I would raise it up even a few degrees than your normal plunge temperature because going under, it's going to feel that much colder. So there's ways to optimize for this, but you know, what are the benefits of that? Really? It's just on, it makes you feel incredible. I don't know what it's, you know, I don't, I don't know what's, <laughs> okay. what science is pulling back on this, but it's, it's, uh, people are just coming back with an extra big smile. I yeah, I can accept that answer, Ryan, because I, I was talking to a guy who was saying, Oh, that's crazy. There's no like extra science on that. You're, you're freezing your brain. And then I thought again, not a scientist. I go, yeah, but it's probably just cooler, you know, no pun intended. It's probably just more fun. Well, I, I think there's a lot of it to those those things that inherently don't feel good or usually good for you. You know, like, you know, it's no, it doesn't feel good to go exercise if you have an exercise. It doesn't feel good to eat broccoli. It doesn't feel good to get in the cold water. Sauna, doesn't, be, maybe sauna doesn't feel sauna good doesn't either. feel good after a you know couple minutes in there. A lot of these things are, you yeah. know, there's obviously, you know, stupid. It's not doesn't feel good to hit your head with a hammer either, but. I, th- I think there's some positive effects to things that your body it can adapt to very quickly and regulates yourself. And like you said, with the dopamine increase and the increase in blood flow, there's real positive impacts. So it's kind of interesting. Well, I think you, you nailed it, Sean. It's like, okay, why do we work out? We work out to actually tear our muscles down like, and for them to grow back stronger. It's a her- hermetic response. It's, you know, you, 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 you break yourself down to grow back stronger. Cold plunging is no different, and it is that for your nervous system. You get in there, it is, it is to me, the gym for your nervous system. You go in, you stretch it, it gets more robust, it comes back, and you come back a stronger person. You stack those days on top of each other, similar to working out. You know, you get your workout in, it's not, you don't fix it in one workout. It has to be a consistent practice that you're constantly doing. And so I think the resilience and, and, creating a more robust system is uh, you know one of the core features to you know getting hot getting cold doing those these different modalities what do you think's next what's the next health craze that we're gonna all be doing in five years man i had that answer i would uh i'd run with it but uh you know, the, one that comes it, yeah. up, <laughs> the one that comes up to me a lot and i utilize it and i'm still like i'm not can't say I'm not sold, but I, I haven't like used it enough to like put everything behind it. But like red light therapy, I think is like a massive, mm, yeah. um, you know, I'm hearing enough testimonies from people that are having these results from it. And, and I don't understand it enough yet to really like go all in on it. But it, that's one's really curious to me. You know, I think, I think there's just this crate, like I was, we were out at a festival called Running Man and it's, you know, in the endurance category. And I don't know if these are like what the, obviously there, there's not like a, a healthy side to this, but these endurance, like high ultra experiences 
I'm seeing more and more people pushing the boundaries on that. And I think that is like, I think marathons and halves are going to be very status quo in these larger, more intense races. There's going to be more and more people getting into them. And I think that's just like, there's this new world of people wanting to like do it just for the sake of like, I was able to do that. That's, um, that's an interesting analogy, that, you know, kind of pushing the the limit with marathons or triathlons of, of sort of depleting the, the comfort out of your body temporarily, like you would with a cold plunge. Or, yeah, well, so a client of mine did his first marathon this two weekends ago. And I said, yeah. you know, how did, how did it go? How, how was it? He was kind of nervous and he goes, man, I, uh, wasn't what I expected. They go, what do you mean? He goes, I thought I would suffer more. Hmm. He wanted it to suck more yeah. than it did. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, well, I did. I thought I was going to be like dragging myself across the finish line. Well, there is, there is that really sort of euphoric feeling at the end of a marathon after you push through the tiredness part where, where you've got this you know, rush of, of feelings. And you know, that must be a lot of, a lot of the same coming out of a cold plunge or oh, coming it's out of be a sauna. It's got to be a lot cooler if you do a hundred miles. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's a, I mean, a I, smaller subset of people who can do that. <laughs> and, you know, exactly. It's, is that going to be for everyone? No. But there is something to it. Like where I live, I live in um, Northern California. And the area that I live in is the foothills of, of between Tahoe and Sacramento. Anyways, there's this race called Western, um, Western Trail. It's a 100-mile race. It goes down from Squaw Valley down into Auburn, California. It's 100 miles. Basically, people run it. It's like a full day. You're running through the night. You're coming down the mountains. Well, it's really cool to go to the finish line. It's like people cross the finish line and they're space cadets. Like these humans yeah. are coming across <laughs> with faces that. that's like, you know, they're in a totally different plane. And there's something to that of like just the experience of like, what does that feel like? Uh, I don't know if you guys follow, like I'm not huge in the endurance world, but there's this, uh, this race called, and it's basically, it's like called the last man running or last person running. Oh yeah. And they just, they just run until someone stops running. Three people all got over. They came down to the end over 420 miles. And no one's even oh, ever singularly oh, gone that far. It's days. These cats were running for days on days. I think the winner ended up at 450 miles. Anyways, it's like this, you know, the four minute mile was the thing. And now it's like these endurance and these ultras are becoming more and more like I'm seeing this culture that's growing of people that are just doing it for the sake of like, because I can and I want to like, yeah. you know, is it like, and I, I think there's something cool to that. I think this, this resilience community that's, that's growing out of these different uh, subsects and I'm seeing it a ton in the endurance space. So what do you think people have to know before they go and try and experience cold plunge or even, you know, the psychedelics that we were talking about, the same sort of transformative experience, you know, what, what do people need to know before they do? I'll take cold plunge first. You need to know that you're stronger than you think. You're gonna, you're safe, and uh, you know you are doing it to get uncomfortable. And there's a couple tips that I would recommend if people are doing it that are gonna set them up for better success. Is don't worry about going into 39 degree water to start. It doesn't. You don't have to do that. Like again, that's like jumping into a CrossFit workout when you haven't worked out for the last six months. Like jump in at 55 degrees, shoot for two minutes, and just focus on your breath. It's also a lot easier if you do it with friends or family. Like we're just a lot stronger when we're around other people. So those would be some tips that I would recommend for cold plunging. Psychedelics, that's a totally different, you know, path to go down into 
the preparation, I would just be, you know, always be clear in your intention, have a healthy respect of what you're, what you're getting into and yeah, show up. I would just be clear on your intention. That's the, that would be the starting point. And then obviously the substance you're using or the setting that you're working with it in does all matter. And you want to do some research to make sure you're in a safe setting or working with someone that you really, really trust, you know, and you put all those together, you're going to have a, uh, life altering experience. What would you say is your, uh, final decision-making tip for business owners and leaders who who want to make better decisions? I think there's different types of decisions we make. You know, there's decisions that are like the, to me, it's like understanding the uh, impact of the decision is always a factor. Um, You know, decisions that are going to impact my whole org on a long-term nature. It's like, I'm taking time to you know, find nothing beats experience. I'm finding people that have gone through something similar experience and I'm bouncing ideas off. I really, I'm big into getting feedback from other people. Smaller decisions, I think, you know, nothing beats like speed in a lot of those scenarios, like just kind of making them, moving on. So to me, it's to answer your original question, it's discerning what type of decision you're making and then having a framework to deal with those type of decisions. Where can people uh, find your podcast and get their own cold plunge? Plunge.com for any plunge stuff. Um, and then podcast, it's called The Journey with Ryan Dewey and just on all the major uh, Spotify, Apple, however you stream and listen to podcasts. Sweet. Thanks for being here, Ryan. Hey, Ryan, it was great cool. talking to you. Thanks. Appreciate, appreciate you guys' curiosity and all the questions. My takeaway from talking with Ryan is when we look at decision-making, it is a relationship we have with our senses, removing all of those senses, heightening those senses or expanding them. And we talked about different ways to do that. We talked about expanding senses with with ayahuasca, which I I didn't think we were going to talk about. We talked about eliminating the senses with the float. We talked about heightening the senses with with the cold plunge. And they all bring back to our relationship to those sensory inputs that impact our decision-making. I think if we have clarity around where we are and we get clarity around what those senses are, we can make better decisions. My biggest takeaway was intention is key. He talked about traveling spiritually on the ayahuasca trips and how his intention and what he wanted to get out of that experience informed the experience. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at decidedlypodcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.